We wanted to invite Doug and Sarah. Sadly, Sarah couldn't come this morning, but Doug and Sarah Crew now are the leaders of Shiloh Place Ministry, which, as many of you know, was the very reason we moved down here from Toronto uh, 19 or so years ago now. And so uh, we really wanted to have the opportunity to invite them to come and share with us. I heard Doug uh, on, a, on a podcast with Duncan and Kate, uh, I guess that's about six weeks ago now uh, that came out, but uh, the Into the Fire podcast, they interviewed Doug, uh, just talking about the whole idea of identity and having our identity in God. And it really struck me that was a really good fit with what we're all about. And so I wanted to invite them to, to come. Come on up, Doug. And uh, Doug and Sarah are great friends of ours. We love them very much. Yeah, so as Mark was saying, I, I know a lot of you in the room. Um, and uh, have for uh, a long time. Some of you, I, you know, I don't know, have no idea who I am. And you're just wondering. And yeah, so my wife is uh, the, the daughter of uh, Jack and Trisha Frost. And so I married into that family. And... Uh, Jack Frost wrote a book called Experiencing Father's Embrace. You probably heard it, heard it about that around here. And so that's how it all connects together. And, and uh, we were helping Trisha lead the ministry after Jack passed away. And then I took over the ministry a few years ago. And so, and here we are. And we've been, do, normally we do more stuff, but we've kind of been virtual for the past year. So uh, it's, been, it's been difficult, like for other people, but um, it's been uh, I like stretching sometimes. Like, I hate it at first. Like, the first virtual event we did, I'm like, I never want to do that again. And then I was like, wait a minute, this isn't so bad. I don't even have to leave my house. This is pretty good. I got people from England on here. People from England can't just fly over for every event we do. This isn't so bad. So, you know, learn to see the, the good in some of those kind of things. Um, you know, but I've been praying, I've been, I've been praying, I've been fasting and praying, no, I've been praying for you guys, I've not been fasting, though, and, I, and there's a good reason for that, though, there's a good reason for that, and that's because I thought it would be awesome to take up a part-time job doing uh, guiding kayak tours in the Cherry Grove Inlet. I know a guy that owns a company, and I was like, oh, man, that'll be so great, get out on the water, you know, I'll make a little bit of money. I'll, I'll, I'll be out there. I'll enjoy it. It's my favorite place to be. I'm an you know, avid surfer. I've just grown up around the ocean. And it'll be great. And, but the thing is, is I'm 50 years old. And so at 50 years old, when I go out there and I unload kayaks off of a trailer, and I get people in the boats, and we paddle for an hour, walk on an island for an hour, and paddle for another hour, like, I need food. And I need sleep. And now, I don't, if I was 21, maybe no big deal. But at 50, I need food and sleep. And so that's, uh, that's what I do. But I, I was kind of wondering, though. I'm like, I'm doing this job, and I'm like, there's got to be some kind of, like, something. There's got to be a good sermon illustration in here, right? There's got to be something. And I, and I struggled with it, and I struggled with it. Well, last Saturday, we went out. We had a group of about 30. It was a, a meetup group and they're the explorer meetup group and they just go do and have experiences together right so we split them up into groups of 10 i had 10 and you know the other two guys had 10 well we go out it's getting a little windy and then we get a little further out toward the island it's getting a little windier 
And by the time we get to the island, it's pretty dang windy. Well, what we do is we, is we, is we go out with the outgoing tide, and then we walk around the island while the tide turns around, and then we come in with the ingoing tide to make all the paddling easier. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not for my sake. It's for the people that, you know, that are new. It's for the new, not for me, it's for them. But, no, so what happens is, is we're on this island, and it's pretty windy. And so what you do is you talk to these people, and, and you give them some instructions because it's a little, it's not going to be so smooth. And so you give them instructions. And so, and then you have to get them in the water one at a time, and then you jump in your boat, and you start to catch up to them. Well, this is where I started drawing a parallel. Now, I've never actually been a pastor I've been around ministry a lot, and I've not been a pastor, but this is what I imagine it's like. So you give some instructions to some people, and you tell them that what's going to be the best thing for them, it's going to be safe for them. Now, it's going to be a little bit longer, and it's going to be a little bit more work, but it's going to be the best path to take. Trust me. Okay, so I, get in, so I get in, and I start to take off, and, and first thing is a person falls out of their boat. No big deal. People fall out of the boat. People run into, you know, issues in life, and you get them back in their boat, and you get them going again. Well, then all of a sudden, the, there's uh, somebody that's on the beach. They, like, got out of their boat, and they're not doing too well. And so I'm like, you know what? I'll, I'll pull you. That's what I do. That's my job. No problem. I don't want anybody to get hurt. I don't want anybody to have any you know, physical problems. I'll pull you because that's what I do. I'm leading you and guiding you, right? So I'll pull you. Well, in the meantime, all these other people go the other way that I told them not to go. <laughs> and so here I am pulling somebody and saying, okay, I guess I've got to go this, this other way. Because if I don't, they're not going to make it through. And so I go this other way. And sure enough, there's people getting beached left and right. And I'm wondering, why didn't you go? <laughs> this is why I said don't go this way. And they're kind of like, oh. And I'm like, oh, okay. So you just don't. It was a suggestion. The things that I was saying were a suggestion. Eh. Or maybe I didn't even listen. But so I'm pulling these people, and that's why you don't go this way, because you can't get through the sandbars there. You can't see it, because it's like this far into water, the water's not super clear. And that, but then when you get up to it, all of a sudden you can see there's sandbars everywhere. And so I'm pulling people through, and it's, and it's, like, it's carnage. I mean, there's people, there's people from my trip, there's people from somebody else, a whole other company's trip, all getting stuck on this beach, and I'm, I'm pulling people off, and I still have this poor lady that's on the back of my kayak, which I had to pull onto the beach. And, and I'm pulling people off, and I'm getting them off. I'm like, oh, you okay, you okay? And there's people in tandem kayak, and the hell's a little bit more weight. And I'm like, well, they go like five feet, and then i got to pull them off again. Right? And so finally, I corral all these people through, and I paddle through, and then we get out, and all of a sudden we're back on our way. It's a little windy. It's a little rough. And we get back, and I'm like, I wonder if that's what pastoring's like. Now, I'm not asking you guys to affirm or deny anything of just what I just said in that analogy. I am not. But I'm like, I tried to, I tried to, there was, it was a narrow channel, but the way is narrow, it was deeper. 
so you didn't get stuck on the beach. It was a little bit longer. It was a little bit more work, but it would have been worth it, at least for me, if you'd have gone that way in the long run. <laughs> but no, but then, you know what? You get in the channel, and the wind's blocked because you get around the corner, and everybody's cruising on their way home, and the sun's getting low, and the sun's starting to set, and you're like, this is pretty good. This is pretty good. And you forgot all that that just happened and that the people didn't listen to you and that, that you tried to help them and they didn't want it. And this is pretty good. This is pretty good. And so I imagine what our lives are like right now. I think about that. I really struggled what I was going to share today because there's so many things. There's a lot of pieces. Of this, the, the identity has kind of been a theme for me lately. And, it's, um, and I knew I wanted to share right that, but I'm a person, uh, gifting-wise, you guys talk a lot about the, um, you know, like fivefold and gifts like that. Gifting-wise, I'm high in the prophetic, and I'm high in the pastoral. And what happens to me a lot of times is I get this 30,000-foot view of what's going on, and sometimes... I see things that are just not well, and it troubles me. It troubles me deeply. But then at the same time, I come to a person, and I'm like, you're not well. You need help. How can I help you? And sometimes it's, a, it's kind of a, a, a battle to, go, to move between the two. And so right now, what I've seen over a good while is that as a church, as a whole, at least from our streams, the parts that I'm connected to, we're not well. I know a lot of people probably won't want to hear that, but I'm just, I, I watch, I pay attention, I communicate with people. I see leaders that are supposed to be spiritual leaders that spend more time fear-mongering and making people scared of what's coming, what impending doom is going to happen to us. than I do giving hope and reminding us that our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is in heaven. Our hope is beyond worldly power. Our hope is otherworldly. I saw, um, I'm just as an example the other day, a guy who's not actually a pastor, but I think he's considered a pastor or a preacher. But I think a lot of people consider him kind of a spiritual leader. And, you know, he's got a whole lot more Facebook friends than I do. A whole lot more people paying attention to him than I do. And in a comment, he referred to a certain group of people as demon rats. And I thought, well, that's helpful. That's helpful. Let's refer to a part of the body of the Christ, a body of Christ as demonic. Let's do that. That's, that's, and I thought to myself, wait a minute, who, who's the one that divides the body and accuses the brethren? Wait a minute, wait a minute, something's wrong. So you see where I'm coming from? I'm not, you know, and, and I'm not here to tell you, I'm not here to tell you how to think about political policies and how to vote or any of that stuff. That's not my point. My point that as a body, as the body of Christ, there's a certain way that we should be looking at the world around us. 
And there's a certain place we should have our hope. And we should be coming from. Nobody wants the world to be worse for their kids. I have three kids. I want the country, the world, all that stuff to be better for my kids. But you know what? They're going to grow up and they're going to be adults and you're going to have to let them go, right? You've let all yours go, right? I haven't let any of mine go yet. And we keep threatening to beat them if they keep growing, but they just keep doing it anyway. So I also saw recently a couple of leaders, um, this is after all the events, the January 6th and all that, and a couple of leaders post, um, all right, everybody, it's time to get our focus back on Jesus. And I thought, well, that's well-meaning, but why are you having to say that now? Why haven't we been saying that all along? Have we not? And so, and one of them in particular, uh, one of them had to a degree, but one of them in particular had not, really. Sort of, but interspersed with fear, fear-laden. You know, we, like, we talk about media all the time, right? We talk about media. Well, we, we are media. Leaders in the body of Christ, people, we are media now. We may, we may not be... CNN, but we are media. So as a leader, what are we doing? And I'm not even saying a leader can't have an opinion, a policy opinion. That's totally fine. Totally fine. Totally valid. But here's what the deal is. We are getting off center of our identity as a kingdom people, as a follower of Jesus, as a beloved daughter or son of the King of our God, of our Heavenly Father who loves us greatly when we are pushing out and pushing out into the waters of fear constantly. I'm not saying we shouldn't be concerned. I'm not saying that, that there aren't some valid fears. But some people would have you believe that we're going to be like, you know, Venezuela tomorrow. I'm sorry, it's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. I mean, first of all, we'd have, to, we'd have to become the country that they came from before we ever got to Venezuela. And I don't, I don't think, it wasn't that bad, was it? Did you, did you guys arrive as refugees? <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> I thought you were seeking asylum. But anyway, so that's my 30,000-foot view, right? That's the thing that hurts me and troubles me. And, and, and I see a, a really bad witness. And so that's in the prophetic, that's, that's a part I see that's really... We need to get a, a, a grasp on things. And as we, as we funnel down, we begin to see, well, who do we identify with in our, like, I don't know, a denomination, our groups, our, our, our church circles, our, you know, the catch the fire circle, you know, a group of churches. And who are we here at CTF Myrtle Beach? And then who are we? Who are we? Who is Tracy to her heavenly father and we drill down into that and in our neighborhood there was this uh this kid his name was jeffy and jeffy was four but jeffy looked like he was six and jeffy 
didn't go to school, so he was home all day. Every, all the other kids are at school, but he was only four, so he's home all day. But he could ride his bike, and he was, like, really tall on this little tiny bike. It was kind of funny. But he'd be up and down the streets all day long, up and down the streets. Well, Jeffy's mom uh, had to stay home and take care of her mother who had some, I think it was a, a, a really bad kidney trouble or something. Like she, was, she was dying of, uh, of a kidney cancer or something like that, but she couldn't work. So they couldn't really afford to send him to like a preschool or something like that because they were just strapped. And his dad was a, was a long-haul, heavy-load truck driver. And so Jeffy spent a lot of time at home. And he had a little sister named Emma that was like a, that's like a year younger. And so that was his circle. Well, one day, our, our kids and the other kids from across the street are playing in our backyard. And they see Jeffy and Emma, and, say, and they say to him, Hey, Jeffy and Emma, you guys want to come in the backyard and play? And so Jeffy and Emma are like, yeah, yeah, you know, this never happens. It's just us. So they come in the backyard and play. Well, Jeffy, he's a little, um, you know, he's a little rambunctious, and he doesn't have a whole lot of social, you know, socialization. And he, you know, I'm just, for whatever reason, I don't know why, I'm sitting at the back door by the sliding glass door. I'm the one watching all the kids. I don't know why. Our, Jack was only like 18 months old, so there's kind of needed to be an adult to kind of paying attention. And, and the kids come running up to the door. Jeffy threw the ball over the fence. Jeffy threw the ball over the fence. And I was like, oh, it's be okay, okay. And so I go out, and I'm like, okay, go get the ball. I told the oldest kid, Hayes, to go get the ball and bring it back. And so I talked to Jeffy, and I'm saying, hey, Jeffy, all right, we need to keep the ball on the fence because, see, there's a pond over there, and we don't want the ball to go in the pond. So can we keep the ball in the yard? Can we do that, Jeffy? He doesn't know me from Adam. Like some strange guys, like, now tell him what to do. He's like, yeah. So I go back inside. I'm sitting there, like, finishing up work on my computer. And the next thing I know, here they come again. Jeffy threw the ball over the fence again, and it went in the pond. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. So, Jeffy, uh, you see what happens. We need to keep the ball in the fence. Can we keep the ball in the fence? Can we do that? So they fetch the ball, they get the fish net, they fetch the ball out. And they bring the ball back in. And so everything's great, right? Then, like every kid in the yard, all of a sudden, a few minutes later, comes to the door. Jeffy threw the ball and hit Gracie in the face. I was like, oh, uh-oh. Now, Gracie, she lives across the street. She's the same age as my daughter, Evie. But Gracie was the youngest of, there's two across the street, and then there's the two girls in my house. Gracie was the youngest of the four. She was the first one to learn how to ride a bike. She's red hair. She's, ah, she's a great gymnast. She's like really fiery. Gracie's tough. And so I walk out there, and I'm like, oh, let's check this out. And Gracie's crying. I was like, ooh, ooh, this is not good. If Gracie's crying, something, yeah, that hurt. And so I'm like, oh, what do I do about this? I'm like, I don't know what to do. So I pick up Gracie, and I'm like trying to figure out how to handle this situation. And before I know it, through the, through the back door comes an angel, my wife, to take care of the situation. She comes up. She always knows what to do with the little kids, right? So she takes Jeffy over, and she's talking to Jeffy. I'm trying to calm down Gracie. And then um, she asks to bring Gracie over. And so what she does is she says, hey, Jeffy, do you have something you want to say to Gracie? And he's like, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, was there something else? Uh, will you forgive me? Gracie, what do you want to say to Jeffy? 
do you have something you want to say to him? Do you, do you forgive him? She says, I forgive you. You know, she's still kind of crying. And they've made up. Well, then it was about to get dark. And so the kids were going to leave anyway. And so Jeffy and Emma start to run over to her, his dad's coming across the street, start to run over there. And Sarah says, hey, go run out there and ask him to come back tomorrow. And all of the kids joyfully run out and ask them to come back tomorrow. And so they're like, yeah. And so what just happened for Jeffy? Jeffy just came, became part of a new group. A group with what? An identity. An identity that says we own our behavior and we extend forgiveness and maintain relationship. That's the identity of the kids, of that group of kids in our neighborhood. And he was just introduced to that. Sadly, a couple months later, a few months later, uh, Jeffy's grandmother passed away. Then right after that, they moved. They're still in the neighborhood, but they're like way on the other side of the neighborhood. And I was, I was kind of bummed about that because, I mean, you know, sure, I missed Jeffy and Emma. But what I was really bummed about was I was really looking forward to all the sermon material that I was going to get from Jeffy. <laughs> and that was gone. Dang it. Ended. But that's one of the ways that we develop identity is through the group. And if we look at the Bible, and we look in the, uh, the culture that the Bible was written in, the ancient culture, it is uh, referred to as a collectivist culture. We live in an individualist culture. The Bible is written into this culture as a collectivist culture. Now, um, the, the collectivist culture is based on, like, you sacrifice for the community, Whereas we're based on, you know, we're self-assertion, that, that kind of thing. And so what collectivists ha have in common is this gravitation toward putting the group above self-interest. You put honor above personal gain, group benefit above personal choice and freedom. And these cultures also use what's called an honor-shame. And we've been in ministry a long time. We know well the cultures that have an honor-shame society. You get to the Far East there, and it's full of that. Well, honor involves cultivating a positive reputation in the eyes of the group, which usually involves bringing honor to the group somehow. Then you become an honored person. Alternatively, your reputation suffers in the view of the group if you're shamed. Now, Jesus did this, and, and, and shame... Uh, in that sense, is a little different from the shame that we talk about a lot. And so Jesus uses this against the Pharisees for the woman that's caught in adultery. He who's without sin cast the first stone. Right? And so, you know, he's just shamed them because they all know they're, you know, they're dropping their stones and they walk away. The old ones first because they're smarter. They're not as <laughs> so um, that's kind of how that works. And we live in a more individualist society. The beauty of what the Western society, Western individualism, is that we value, we've had a higher value of human life. There's been a lot of growth and a lot of progress and a lot of that pioneering spirit. And it's done a lot for America, but and it's done a lot for just Western culture altogether to understand us as individuals as people that matter all by yourself 
but things like the internet and social media, and we've pushed that, that envelope to the max. And, and that's one of the things I think that's developed, you know, why personality tests are huge now. I mean, you've got Enneagram, you've got disc, you've got four letters, you've got animals, you've got colors, you've got strengths. I love all of them. I'm not down in them. I think they're great. And Mark actually trains in one of those based in communication. But there's a pressure in, in our society for you to be somebody and you to know exactly who that is. And for you to express who that is. I mean, people get insta-famous, right? Instagram, because they've built an identity for themselves. I remember back in the 90s when I was a um, uh, youth leader, working with the youth, and there was a song that I love called History Maker. I'm going to be a history maker in this land. Well, there's like a subtle kind of pressure to do something, right? To really do something that matters. When you're going to sing that song and you're going to be that person, it's just kind of puts it out there. So it's kind of us. That's kind of who, that's kind of who we are. Um, you know, if, but, you know, I'm like, I don't know. I don't, I don't have, my abs aren't good enough for Instagram. I'm just being honest with you. I just, I don't have that. I'm not, you know, I'm not YouTube famous. I'm not Insta famous. But I think what's happened is what we've done is we begin to worship the self-admiration. We talk about self-love which is a good part of uh, building your identity, but it's this self-admiration that gets us off kilter a little bit. And so we can think that we're just destined to be generic if we don't have that it factor, right, that certain thing. But the good part is, is that we have God. Um, there is a, is there somebody running there? I'll just read the quote, that's fine. I'll just read it. It's, only, it's like one little quote. What do I do with it? Um, it's a great definition of um, identity. And I don't want to mess it up. That's why I want to read it. Hmm? Oh, there you go. You got it? There you go. I got this from Tim Keller. I don't know if any of you know who he is. He's a great writer and author. But it a self-understanding who you really think you are most fundamentally and whether you feel good about it or not. That is a great definition of identity. Who you think you are and whether you even like that or not. Because a lot of us thinks we're something that we don't really like. <laughs> Probably a lot more of us than would like to admit, which is a whole other thing. So there's this passage in Luke, um, in Luke 18, and it's, um, ah, don't ask me if I like your app, okay. Luke 18 starts with the, with, with the persistent widow. I kind of think Luke 18 should start with the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, because I think Luke 18 is a lot more about identity than, than we want to let on. So the Pharisee and the tax collector, Jesus, you know, talks about the two men that went up to the temple. One of them was a Pharisee. One of them was a tax collector. 
And, and the Pharisee says, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people. I'm not greedy, who are greedy, unrighteous adulterers, or even like this tax collector, uh, this demon rat. I, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. And the tax collector stands off and, and beats on his chest and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. There's a sense of the Pharisee having power, and I don't think it's a mistake that, he goes, that Luke goes to the blessing of the children next. And he says, let the little children come to me and don't stop them, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Children are pretty transparent. And then we go to the rich young ruler. This is a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. He says, I've kept these from the youth. Uh, when, when Jesus heard this, he told him, you still lack one thing. See all you have, uh, sell all you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. And after he heard this, he was extremely sad because he was very rich. Now, we always talk about money, like it's been preached for years and years, and I think there's right, you can fall in love with money rather than God, absolutely. But what comes with money? I mean, what did they call him? They called him the rich young ruler. If he used to sell all his possessions and leave and go follow Jesus, he wouldn't have just gotten rid of all his money, he would have gotten rid of his power. That's a huge problem. I think it's one that we have now. Then he, he, he predicts his death, and then he performs a miracle, and then um, when a blind man receives a sight, and then 19, which should be the end of chapter 18, starts off with the story of Zacchaeus, a man who was short in stature, meaning small, uh, not necessarily short, it means that that word, when you look it up, has a lot of different meanings about being immature, being small. So if we look at him as being short in stature, and he, was a, you know, he defrauded his own people, he's a small little man. But then Jesus comes into his life. And Jesus doesn't pay attention to any of that. And he says, I'm coming to stay at your house. Go get ready. And that's all it takes. And he's like, I'll sell it, uh, you know, I'll, I'll repay everybody. I'll get rid of everything and repay everybody because I've been lost and I don't know who I am and I'm disconnected from my people. My own people hate me. I have worldly power, but my own people hate me. And I can't be disconnected anymore. Thank you for your mercy, Jesus. Thank you for your mercy, Jesus. And so I think that we have, in a lot of senses, we have a power problem. I don't think it's a mistake that in um, Matthew and, and the other ones in Luke, I think, when Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, he's tempted with uh, several different things, you know, throwing himself down so that God will save him, eating because he's hungry. He's also tempted with given, being given power over the world. 
and he turns it down. Well, I don't think there's any mistake that right before that is what some people call the central event. Some scholars will call it central event. So, you know. But they call, here's why they call it the central event, right? This is the baptism of Jesus. He comes to John. He says, no, to, in order for things to be fulfilled, you, you know, I must be baptized by you. And John you know, says, no, you, you should baptize me. He says, no. In order for all to be fulfilled, I should be baptized. And he takes him into the water, and he baptizes him. When he comes out of the water, we hear the affirming words of our heavenly Father speaking to Jesus, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And we've probably all heard this before, before he ever did anything. Not till after that, and he goes in to get tempted. But what happens when he gets tempted with all these things? He knows who he is. His identity has been affirmed by his father. He knows who he is. And he's had glimpses of it throughout his life when he was 12. You know, and he went on, and now it's solidified. And then he goes into ministry. Then he goes and starts doing things. I don't think it's any mistake that the gospel writers put those in that order to express things. Our identity is extremely important to how we handle personal relationships. I mean, like I look, at the, I look, I look here, we're talking about a, a group identity. One of the things that, that you know, Mark teaches the life languages profile. Life languages is about communication. It's about understanding the other and putting them above your preference for a little while so you can communicate with them and love them where they are. What's one of the other big ones? Hearing God's voice. Mark's been teaching that for, Mark and Jane, you guys have been teaching that for 20-some years, right? And, the, you know, so the prophetic, it's not, it's hearing God's voice for other people. It's hearing God's voice for yourself. It's understanding where you are. And I, and I, don't, I don't know what you're, your byline is, but, you know, you know, I could say, you know, this is a place where we, 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 we value others in communication and we value the voice of God. I don't know if you want to, it's kind of clunky for branding, but, anyway. <laughs> but, you know, so that's, this, you know, if, if you've been in here and you've been doing this for a while, you're, you're getting that kind of identity, you're getting that kind of peace. And good, because we're going we're gonna to listen to God here in a second. And this funnels us down to one of my favorite things. Is we're going to do what's called an, an Ignatian exercise. It's a contemplative kind of thing. And what we're going to do is, um, I, I, th- I have this new idea. I don't even remember where I got it now. I wish I could credit who kind of turned me on to the idea, but this idea that maybe we've been dealing in a certain type of currency that's Roman currency, but we're going to come to a place and we're going to be in the temple for a little while. And so we need to trade out our currency for some temple currency. We're going to spend some heart currency here for a few minutes. We're going to get out of our head. We're going to leave the Roman currency at the table, and we're going to pick up some heart currency. And we're just going to listen.
So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to find the, uh, the thing here. I'm going to read it for you. All right. <clears throat> I think the one we're going to do, Ignatian, what Ignatian exercises is putting yourself in a gospel story, basically. You're going to be an onlooker, an observer in the crowd, in something happening in the gospel. And so I'm going to read this for you, and then after I read it for you, we're going to, we're going to pray, we're going to settle in, and we're going to walk through it. And there's going to be a purpose at the end. We're going to talk to God. We're going to hear from God at the end of this. So what we're going to do is Mark 10 at 46. This is a, uh, the blind man. And it says, they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many warned him to keep quiet, but he was crying out all the more. Have mercy on me, son of David. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man and said to him, have courage, get up. He's calling for you. He threw off his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. Then Jesus answered him, What do you want me to do for you? Rabbi, the blind man said to him, I want to see. Jesus said to him, Go. Your faith has saved you. Immediately he could see and began to follow Jesus on the road. All right. Now. Let's take a couple breaths just to kind of settle ourselves and clear ourselves. And just what I want you to do is take a long, slow, low breath in. And then I want you to breathe out. But I want you to take a little bit longer breathing out than you were breathing in. And do it again. Spirit, give us ears to hear what you're saying to us. Give us eyes to see. We choose right now to lay down everything that hinders us. At this point, we have no reputations to protect. We leave. We leave that behind. And we come to you with our whole heart. We love you. Now. We're in the city of Jericho. Jesus is coming, and the streets are full of people. And it's loud, and there's chatter. You hear this just 
inaudible, constant chatter, 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 chatter. Occasionally, some kind of bird or animal can be heard. You can hear a donkey in the midst of it. Extremely crowded. There's people all around you. You smell the street. You smell, you can smell the animals, the dung of the animals, the people around you. And then you hear the, there's a bit of a fuss. Things start to get a little bit louder. And then you, and then you hear this guy start yelling, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And you're straining to look and see who this is. And Jesus is coming. Son of David, son of David. Jesus calls him. Where are you right now? I want to make sure that you get to a place where you see this strange thing where this blind man is yelling. Do you want to get close to see what's going on? And his friends, get him, get up, get up, come on. He's calling for you. And then you see him, you see Jesus. And you see him look at this man. And then he asks this odd question. What do you want me to do for you? And he says, I want to see, I want to see. And without a whole lot of fanfare or anything going on, he just says, go, your faith has saved you. And suddenly the man can see. And then by this time, you've happened to end up kind of right close in the middle of things. And Jesus turns, and you're right there in his path. And he just stops and looks at you. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want him to do for you? Now I want you to ask him a question. Jesus, who am I to you? Who am I to you?
you, Lord, for your affirming words over your people. for answers, for hope, for hope. There's a quote by Thomas Merton that I'm, I'm going to screw it up, but basically he says, <clears throat> you are not big enough to condemn the entire culture, but what we can do is speak words of hope. I mean, Merton said that in the 60s or something like that. We can speak words of hope. Can we take this, what I hope was a good exercise in identity, in hearing from the Lord, words over you directly from him. I love the prophetic. I Matter, matter of fact, I just uh, had a prophetic word from CTF Auckland uh, not even two weeks ago. But when you can hear the Lord speak directly into your heart, directly over you, affirming you, That's something that sticks with you. And that gives us a good center to live from. That gives us a good center. One, one of my things that I know that I am that's been spoken over me, not only I felt like the Lord spoke it to me directly, several people have prophesied really close to that, just basically using different words. And that's... Um, <clears throat> Somebody who will speak truth no matter what the cost. That's something you have to work up to. <laughs> somebody who will speak truth to authority. And somebody who will attempt to do that with as much grace and love as possible. And it's something that I've cultivated in me, just trying to say, who am I on center for you, Lord? It's not so I can be full of me. It's because I'm here with a purpose. We all are here with a purpose. I don't care if you have a microphone or not. You're all here with purpose. Right? So I hope, and you feel free to ask me questions. I hope that you all had the opportunity to hear something from the Lord in that moment. I know it wasn't as fancy and sexy as some ministry types, but <laughs> it's good stuff. I love it. Do you? Thank you, Doug. For what it's worth, we see in you what you just described. And so we affirm and we water with the anointing that we carry as a family of God, the, the gifting that's in you and the, uh, the calling that you're stepping into, have stepped into and continue to grow into. We bless that. 
So I want to invite every one of you uh, to make use of Doug's presence here. <laughs> have him pray with you, have him agree with you, ask him questions if you'd like to. But before we close out, I'd like you just to place your hand over your heart with me and just close our eyes. We were just going to, each of us, bless what God has said and done in us today. So Father, thank you for speaking to each one of us uniquely and powerfully. Whether we felt that or not, you've done it. And so we bless what you're saying and what you're doing in each one. That we would be filled with the life and the love of heaven and that we'd be instruments of the kingdom to those around us and everywhere we go. We say yes to who you say we are. In Jesus' name. Amen.